Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Memory Lane. I am your host, Noah Hiles, and joining us today is former Pittsburgh Penguin Colby Armstrong. Colby, how are you today? I'm good, doing as, as well as we can be here and uh, getting ready for the holidays. So it's, uh, well, I guess it's kind of uh, always been a holiday as we sit at home. But yeah, I've got four young kids, so Christmas is big. Christmas yeah. will be big. I know we're, we're airing this a little later, but we're actually recording this on Festivus. Uh, do you have any grievances okay. you would like to air? <laughs> no, I do not. No? no, I do not. I understand completely. That's fine with me. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, the way this show works, we go through, you know, your entire career life, really. And uh, before we get into your hockey career, I want to get into um, another short career you had on the ice. Uh, and that is your figure sta- skating career. I read that your mom was a coach, a figure skating coach. Is that right? Yeah, and she still does it, actually. So she's still doing it right now back in Saskatoon, where I'm from, and, and teaches kids, uh, you know, power skating and, and mostly figure skating. So, yeah, I was kind of a rink rat my whole life uh, as a kid, and my mom was always teaching at the rink, and my dad is like used to play hockey, so we were always, you know, whether we're outdoor skating or – um, I was bouncing back and forth between um, hockey and figure skating as my mom talked me into getting involved in that. I did that for like four, four or five years um, through the late stages of elementary school. So like, I guess for us, that's like, um, you know, five to, to eight, almost into grade nine. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was great. I, it was great because I was on the ice like all, all the time. So, you know, I got to see kind of both sides of the world with figure skating and hockey and meet tons of different people. And I competed in figure skating as well, which was, which was wild. Um, and, uh, I got, just got to be on the ice a, a ton as a kid, which is, you know, as you know, in hockey, you got to be good at skating, good on your edges, good with your balance. So it helped me as a, as a kid for sure. And that's what I was going to ask is how beneficial is that? Because I know like the problem for kids who grow up in maybe, warmer areas is just a having the access to ice but then you hear about yeah. like kids you grow up in the north where they can have an ice skating rink in their backyard for three months out of the year and then for you you didn't even need it in your backyard because you're playing two sports on the ice yeah. uh, how how beneficial was that for you and your upbringing as a hockey player to just you know get that extra skating in yeah I was busy all the time like I said I was a, our family were just we we're just rink rats like my mom would go teach all day was they had a, a thing there called uh uh, summer school and it was for figure skating and it's like a two-month period where kids come from all over the place to come here to Saskatoon um, take lessons and um, kind of just like a big summer camp for figure skating so my mom was teaching there like all day she had lessons and, and teaching kids all day and I would just be there I'd jump on a couple sessions here and there uh, and I'd just hang out at the rink the entire day days and days and days on end all through the summers as a kid so um, you know, even in the summers, I was, I was always skating. I was always on the ice. I was saying that now here living in Pittsburgh, I have a 10 year old and he's in hockey and, you know, you try to set up an outdoor rink or you have, you know, ideas to do that, but it just doesn't stay cold, cold enough, long enough to, to really, you know, be beneficial. It's more work than the actual mm-hmm. time you get put on there. But, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a benefit for me as a kid, um, bouncing back and forth and be on the ice all the time. And then even when I wasn't at the rink, I was at the outdoor rink. Uh, either in our neighborhood or in our backyard. So um, definite, um, I think, advantage uh, if you're a kid. And a lot more free playing time, you know what I mean? Like yeah. so structured, a lot of the stuff, you know, we just got to, to play and have fun. What was your competitive, what was the song you would skate to when you were in competitions? <laughs> 
I always felt there was like a Ukrainian music type of uh, type of thing to like the stuff that I did. It was like like that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and now I see they skate to like legit music, like they, they can have words in it, like an actual songs that we listen to. So it was different, um, you know, years ago. And we used to do a thing that they've gotten rid of now that was called figures. It was um, it was like a, an element of like you have your short program, your long program, and then you have to do your figures, which is like all edge work, like controlled. It was really quiet. It's not to music. It's just like doing circles and holding a perfect circle on your edge, switching feet, making like figure eights and holding one foot all the way around or like little loop turns, uh, doing it backwards. Um, as boring as that kind of sounds, I enjoyed that. And I think that really helped with like my edge work and my balance and my body control as a kid. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure they don't do it now, which, uh, which stinks. I'm sure a lot of figure skaters are happy because it was kind of like a boring part of the ice session for like 40 minutes you're doing these edges. And, um, but that was one thing that I was actually kind of okay at. I felt like I was kind of confident because it's kind of just like challenging yourself to hold these edges and like kind of lock it in. Um, but I wish I could have got to skate to some uh, music that they skate to now with all, all the songs and stuff. It's pretty fun. It seems fun now. In the midst of your uh, NHL career, a movie called Blades of Glory came out. Did that inspire you to maybe, you know, go back into figure skating at all? Chaz Michael Michael, yeah. have you seen that movie? Chaz Michael Michaels, the badass of figure skating. Yeah, yep. I mean, the guy was a legend. Um, I've seen the movie several times. It's hilarious. I actually took up figure skating a year last year around this time. I was. They have a competition up in Canada. on. Uh, it's on national TV there up on CBC. It's called Battle of the Blades. That's my last they, bullet point. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as I kind of got back into the world of figure skating and hanging out with all these people uh, in professionals and champions and like real pro figure skaters, um, you know, I, I, I kind of had, I think, a little bit of advantage because I had a, a background in it. And I understand like a lot of the moves or, um, you know, the idea of it anyway. And, um, you know, I was getting messages, you know, like the scissor the scissor move from uh, Bla <laughs> the Blades Iron Lotus, the Iron Lotus move. I was getting all these uh, gifts or whatever you call them sent to me from buddies. Like it was, it was awesome. So yeah, I kind of pictured myself as the Chaz Michael Michaels on my, on my comeback. There we go. Uh, as, as interesting as your figure stating career is, I think people probably want to hear you talk a little bit about hockey here uh, as well. Sure. So I guess we'll have to push everything else I had to the side. Um, so in 2001, you get drafted to the Penguins, and that's an interesting time in Penguins history because their, you know, their run of the 90s and the Lemieux, the Yager days are pretty much over. I mean, you know, Yager goes away and, and Lemieux's coming back, but they're not the competitive juggernaut that they had been that whole decade prior. So you, you see that name on draft day and you're, you're probably thinking, okay, cool. You know, that's a team I grew up watching that was really good. But did you kind of also understand that this team's due for some dark days ahead? Yeah, no, I, I didn't. Like at the time when I got drafted, I remember my, um, like my draft interview at the Combine um with eddie johnson and um uh bugsy malone was the head scout at the time greg malone and um you know i, I remember the meeting and going with them but it wasn't like you know at the at the top of my list of some of the other meetings i had and so when i was when i was drafted them i had one lone buddy that was a diehard back where i'm from um lemieux fan and diehard pens fan so he was like the first person i thought of strange enough uh uh when i was drafted um but i i 
I did, we, I lived out in Saskatoon and growing up as a kid, we saw all Wayne Gretzky. Like it was all like Leafs or Oilers and Gretzky. It was, it was kind of that heyday. And, and, you know, you only saw like a few, you know, clips of Mario and his greatness. We didn't get to see too many, too many Penguins games. I remember in school, them winning Stanley cups when I was younger, back to back those days. And, um, but at the same time, I, I was excited because they they always seemed to me like just like an offensive team. So I was like, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be crazy going there with a team that kind of plays that offensive style. Um, and has, like you said, all these names in the past that have, that have been great. And obviously Mario Lemieux is the first guy you think of. So, um, I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest with you. I was just thrilled, uh, to have the opportunity and, um, you know, anytime, you know, a name like Wayne Gret or like Mario Lemieux, um, is attached to that team and you have a potential to like hang out with him or even see him at the rink or at camp. I was like, I could, I couldn't believe it was going to happen. Yeah. So I did some, uh, digging into your days in the minors. Um, I watched like the MTV cribs video you guys did oh, when yeah, you're in yeah, Wilkes-Barre yeah. and it reminded me of my days yeah. when I lived in a fraternity house. So a lot of <laughs> similarities there. Um, but you told a story about a talk you had over lunch one day with Herb Brooks and an analogy or a story you talked about with a donkey. Can you, yeah. can you uh, elaborate on that? And do you still hold that story true, like to being kind of a motivator in your career? Yeah, it's, it's a great story. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, he was like, kind of, he was a player development guy here when I was here and he came down and spent a lot of time with us. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, the movie came out later uh, and I just knew him as, you know, obviously the miracle on ice coach, but I just knew him as like this great guy. He was just amazing to talk to and took time with me, spent lots of time with me there. Um, lunches, hanging out, just chatting, just this like sweetheart of a guy. And, uh, I was going through a little bit of a rough time my first year there because I expected, you know, you come out of junior, you're good, you're first round pick and like, everything's going pretty good. You're you're used to playing a certain amount. And, and here I found myself at times throughout the year, not playing as much or even being a scratch um, through the season. So uh, I was having a little bit of tough go and he had, had me at lunch and he kind of told me this story that, that he talked about this, this farmer and the donkey story of this farmer that hated a donkey. He wanted to get rid of the donkey. So he decided he was going to bury his donkey, dug a big hole threw the donkey in the hole and started just shoveling dirt on the donkey and every pile of dirt that came on him, the donkey just shook his back and the dirt fell to his feet. Uh, and this happened long enough over time that eventually there was enough dirt at the donkey's feet from shaking it off that he just walked right out of the hole. And I thought it was like, a, I, I, I've always kept that with me because, you know, it's always through times throughout, you know, whether it's professionally or just in life, things get tough. You have to learn to, you know, get past it, um, shake it off and, and fight and try to get out of that situation. So, yeah, it was, it was a good story. It was something that stuck with me. I tell it to my kids. I tell it to my kids, hockey team, all these guys my little 10 year old boys, but um, I think it's just a, a great analogy and story and just one for hockey, but just for life in general. So he was a great guy. He was so good to the guys there. I, you know, he tragically died in a car accident a few years later. And, um, you know, I, I was appreciative for the time and, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the stuff that he lent to me um, through the early part of my, of my career um, being a professional hockey player. I can't believe they didn't go with that speech instead of the miracle speech for the <laughs> Russians in the movie. Can you imagine then they spin off that video of that little like eight year old kid doing Yeah, that with speech. the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be something else, eh? Just burying a donkey. Yeah, that'll yeah. be real great good. moments I think they, are born they from donkeys. The right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did it right. So in your early days with Pittsburgh, um, you're drafted in 01. 
a couple years after you, uh, you know, I mean, even while you're there, just year after year, they're just building the foundation and you're seeing guys like Flurry, Sid, Gino, and, you know, another great cast around them all coming in through the minors year in and year out. Um, At what point of time did it really hit you? That's like, wow, they're really building something special here. Yeah. I didn't think of at the time I was kind of like, what are they doing? Why aren't they calling any of these guys up? How are our mm-hmm. guys not, not getting in this situation? Like, cause, cause even before me, uh, who do we have? We had lots of real good players and obviously the trade for Yager, we had, you know, guys come over in that trade and, and, and that, that were, that were really good players as well. So, um, you know, that were first round picks and um, all the stuff they got from that. So we, we had a accumulation of a lot of just really good young talent down there and, I think everyone was just kind of waiting for their opportunity. Like, when's this going to kick over? When are we going to kind of start seeing some games? Because I hadn't, I hadn't seen for myself personally, I didn't see a game for three and a half years, like not even one game. So it kind of became like a mental battle more than anything to like hang in there and go, okay, it'll, you know, it's going to happen. Um, and I think for a lot of guys on our team, but um, once Michelle Terrian came in and took over and, um, and our group kind of started getting better as, as pros and like learning the game. Cause we had a, we had a fairly young group of guys that did our, did our eyes kind of open up that we were like, kind of, we were, do- we were starting to dominate and have runs in the minors with our team that we were, we were really good. So I think you see lots of teams do that now, like Tampa Bay and the minors, their team, you know, had, had, you know, several really good seasons, Washington capitals forever. Hershey was always super good and pushed out lots of guys and guys kind of moved up. So, um, when it started to happen uh, that guys, we all kind of started kind of filtering up to the big club together. We kind of, it was exciting. Like it was exciting because we played together for so long. We understood like how to play. Um, We understood like what the head coach and Michelle wanted out of us and how we were going to play and kind of the demands. And we were all understood that, you know, uh, understood each other. So we were like really close, close group. And then as those years went on too, like you said, it was like Gino, like Whitney, you know, we had uh, Flurry, we had Sid, like, it was just like, holy smokes. Like these guys are just going to come in here, uh, like superstar players, uh, stall and, uh, and fit right in. And, and, you know, obviously those guys like kind of obviously took us over to the top with a lot of the surrounding cast that we had that had played together for several years in Wilkes-Barre. We're going to get right back to my conversation with Colby Armstrong, but first, a word from our sponsors. So one of my first guests on this show was actually Yarko Rutu, um, and I asked him about the dynamic of the room as a veteran. You know, because like mm-hmm. I said, when he was there, there's just like you said, you listed out all those young so guys young that guys. came up. Yeah. And then you had, you know, a couple old guys. You had like Gary Roberts. Gonchar wasn't technically yeah. old, old, but like he was like in <laughs> yeah. his 30s. He was a veteran. Yeah. yeah. And especially on that team, he might as well have been 50, you know, just compared to like the age <laughs> divide. What was your perspective on that? Just, you know, because you had half the room were guys that you played in the minors with for years that you watched yeah. get taking his first round picks. And then the other half of the room are guys you probably watched playing in the NHL yeah. when you were in high school. So, yeah, what, so what, cool. how does that kind of gel? Yeah. Gary Roberts, Mark Recchi, we had John LeClaire. I mean, Daryl Sador, um, Jocelyn Tebow was there at a time. And um, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome. And the fact that we had enough good veterans around our group um, in the guys that I just named, 
um, that were great with us, all of us young guys, whether it's, you know, the superstars and Crosby and, and, you know, you have guys, you know, that are able to help him out or, you know, support him, um, you know, to, to our other guys like surrounding cast foot soldier type of guys that we also had, I guess you could call them that. Um, uh, we had enough where it was like, kind of like the veteran guys were great enough to us, but we were comfortable enough with our group of young guys that for me, like an outgoing guy or a Max Talbot, an outgoing guy, it was like easy for us um, to just be ourselves, I think, a lot more. And I can't say enough about the veteran guys that we had, like just how good they were and how much time they put into hanging out with us and, and you know, on their off time. Like these guys had kids and families um, and they, you know, they were they were right there with us at team dinners and everything. So, um, you know, it was great to working with us after practice, one on one. I remember Gonchar working with me a lot, just coming out of the corner with a puck against him and how to what to look for in the defender's feet and all this stuff stuff that like I didn't even think about at the time. Um, so yeah, we we were lucky to have just really good veteran guys and a good mix of guys that have played together long enough where our dressing room was like was fun. Like it was exciting all the time. Like we had great energy with that youthful energy, but we had good leadership. And old enough guys that dealt with us, the you know, I think in a really great way to make it like a really good atmosphere. Are you surprised that just looking back at how it all started, that this run is still yeah. going on now? And it's, you know, <laughs> let's be real. It's at the tail end of it now. But I mean, yeah. in 2020, like if I would have went to you in 2006 and when you're, you know, playing with Sid and Gino and all these guys and said like, hey, they're still going to be doing it in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, did you expect it to last this long? Yeah, making the playoffs this long, kind of that, um, you know, that core group of stars to be, you know, still dragging teams, you know, down the road into the playoffs. I guess you kind of always think, like, when we had those guys and they were young, and I was young, but we always, like, I, I, we always talk, like, these guys are going to just be these, you're, they're expected. The thing is, they're expected to be the guys that do it every year, get your team to the playoffs every year, and give yourself a chance to win the Stanley Cup every year. One thing to say that and the expectations, another thing to, like, pull through and do it like they have. So, it's been a, it's, it's been a, a great run, and I, I can't believe probably Penguins fans probably feel the same way about it um, with all the great stars they've had through the years, uh, being able to watch that. But now, the, just the runs of uh, bonus hockey and playoff hockey that they've been able to see with um, you know this core group of guys that they've they've had linger around here for as long as they have but I didn't know that you never know like it's so hard to make the playoffs every year you never know I think um, you know when you're going to fall off or have an off year but for whatever reason how many years is that now 15 16 years I think they're the longest yeah. running team for playoff mm -hmm. uh, in the NHL um, and uh, it was like when we played Ottawa that first round we after we lost out that series, we knew that we were going to be good though. Like we talked about, I remember talking to guys and being like, man, we're going to be good next year. Like we got a taste of it. Like we're, we're going to be better. We're going to be good. We're going to have a good team. And, um, you know, I got traded that next year, but they went to the, you know, they went to Stanley cup final. Um, so it, it happened really, really fast with our group and understanding like, you know, what it takes to be an elite team. I think our superstars, like, you know, obviously leading the way as young guys realizing that they're going to run the show and um, you know, it all came together like fairly quick. Once it clicked, it was, it was, it was a fun team, really fun team to be around. You had the opportunity to uh, room with Sidney Crosby uh, for a couple of years. 
Um, you know, you hear all the stories already. And, and I, I just kind of want to hit on a couple. I mean, he's known for a lot of things, but being superstitious is, of course, one of those things. And, uh, you know, you're not on uh, spitting chiclets here. So I'm just going to, you know, give <laughs> yeah. you that warning, um, which we will get into in a minute. Uh, but can you talk about some of his pregame superstitions and, uh, you know, maybe keep it PG-13 as opposed to rated R if possible? Yeah, he was just like – I don't know. I think we all are kind of like him a little bit, but um, I don't know how he remembered all of, all of them at the same time. Like when, when things were running really good, like, you know, these things could, could heat up and line up into like a bunch of different um, routines all linked into one. So it became, it started becoming <clears throat> something else pretty crazy. And it even, you know, from laying in the hotel room at night and, you know, drinking our bottle of water and then, you know, we'll have a good game if we, if we nail this garbage cans, like under the desk in the corner and like perfect shot drains it to like us losing it. Like definitely playing good the next day now, just because of that. <laughs> and then <laughs> like, does that make any sense at all? Yeah. No. And then I read like, you know, like the one that I'm obviously alluding to is like a bowel movement could result in a hat trick. It was a hat trick bowel movement. Absolutely. Yeah. It happened. No word, no word of a lie. It happened. And, and it happened again later. So it was like kind of crazy that like, it was just like funny. It was just more funny, like guy, guy stuff. You yeah. Know? But um, now would you go yeah, out of your way to like try he to was definitely, if he was definitely, uh, um, he would definitely keep the routines like, like going hard. You've heard like tons of other stories. I mean, yeah. About, you know, having the same conversations with guys day in day out just to like, keep it going. So yeah. But Man, would, that's a level of commitment that is unbelievable. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, would you guys go out when, when you think that like, if you have a rough bowel movement, then you're going to get a hat trick because of it. Like, are you going out of <laughs> your way to like eat Indian food or something like the next day? <laughs> or, or are you just kind of just playing it organically? No. Yeah. Organically. A lot, like a lot of this stuff wasn't organically, you know, that was just like a goofy thing, but um, you know, like, eating going to dinner the night before a game at the same place and hopefully getting in the same table your stall and, and the road dresser you're being at the same spot at every single time um setting your stuff up in the room the exact same way uh in your stall in the dressing room and at the exact same time getting a piece of gum at the exact same time getting a bottle of water and mixing it with a gatorade like it just goes on and 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 on <laughs> like it is absolutely nuts to the point where i remember seeing him like before games like he do warm-ups he does this whole thing obviously the mcdonald's stick handling thing is mm -hmm. you know pretty cool to see um I, I remember seeing him like tie his skate all the time like he would do the same thing then he would tie his skate like you can't tell me you tie your skates right every time and then all of a sudden he has to redo it, but he had to redo it. Like he had to keep the same routine. You have to go out in the ice the same way. You have to do the same shot. You have to do the same stick handling thing. Like it is, it is on and on. And, and trust me, he's fun to talk about because he's Sidney Crosby and his routines are, are, are well known or his superstitions as you want to call it. But I mean, everyone else is bought into these, like you get sucked into like the Sid superstitions oh. and your own superstitions and it just keeps building and building and building. So, um, yeah, it made it made it kind of fun too. It made it kind of fun. It was it was uh, it was fun atmosphere to be around when, you know, the stakes were that high, and you know he's that good, uh, and the attention is that big, and you're kind of caught up in that bubble of uh, being on every day and practice to games. It, it was it was it was a fun atmosphere to be around someone like that great that that you know put that much time and effort into you know what they're doing and you know that much pressure on them to be around it. So I I loved it. I loved it. It was awesome. It's fun to hear those stories as, you know, someone who just appreciates the game of hockey as a fan because, you know, 
when you watch it, there's in, in a passionate town like Pittsburgh, you, you know, you, yeah. you have your lucky chair or your lucky jersey or your lucky socks. <laughs> yeah. And like Cindy Crosby affirms that that is real. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, like oh, other yeah. other fans of other teams they can't say that, but like a Penguins fan can literally say like. I have to wear these or Crosby will get mad at me. Like that's oh, how it works. The hockey with this. gods, buddy. The hockey yeah. gods. That's a, you know, you gotta be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And that's what made it great about playing here too. Yeah. In Pittsburgh, because um, just a, just an honest hard work in town that like their team to, you know, be exciting, play hard and win games and uh, crazy about sports. And I mean, it made it a super exciting market to play in. It made it great. You mentioned that uh, first postseason matchup you guys had in 07 against Ottawa, mm-hmm. that first series mm-hmm. as, as that group. Um, and you told one of my coworkers, Dave Molinari, uh, that it was the most memorable game of your career was game one. And in, yeah. in a game that you guys lost, it still just sticks out to you. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Well, it was kind of like all of our, for our young group anyway, we hadn't tasted playoff action or NHL playoffs. It just been like a dream to kind of chase the Stanley cup. Right. And, you know, for us to be in Ottawa waiting in the tunnel to come out before the game, it was our first time playing for the Stanley cup. There was logos on our jerseys. There was logos on the ice, the media playing in Canada as well. Like the media component and the, the spotlight of Crosby playing in Ottawa was, um, you know, it was pretty big. And, um, and it was just like, kind of like our, it was like that feeling that you can't really explain. It was, it was like, you're crawling out of your skin, like getting ready before that game because it was like, you're so nervous, you're anxious, you're excited. It was everything and trying to, you know, control those emotions, but not really knowing what to expect. It'd been everything that you kind of just like thought about or read stories about or imagine what it would feel like. So um, yeah, that was super memorable moment just because it was like a big, large group of us going through the exact same emotional feeling and, you know, you know, that childhood dream feeling um, to get your chance to, to first time play for the Stanley cup. And, I just remember standing in like the, the tunnel and like they had this strobing music, like the robotic strobe sound music, like won't, 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 like counting down till like, you know, we came out for the game. And I just remember like just hearing that and just like whole, like the crowd was going absolutely bonkers as you know, like, you know, the rink here gets crazy in the playoffs as well. So it was like that same feeling, just total energy. It was just wild feeling to like, you know, experience and, and get it for the first time. It was, it's, it was awesome. Uh, I heard a story um, from one of the many media appearances that you do about the f- <laughs> first and only time that you stood up to Michelle Terrian. Uh, can you can you can you share that one? It didn't go too well. Yeah, it didn't go too well. I don't know who told that story. I kind of stay away from it a little bit just because I don't know. But uh, uh, I, I'd been having some meetings with him where he had been kind of challenging me and wanted more out of me and. It was kind of like he was just, you know, he was just beating a dead horse with me. Like it wasn't going the way that he wanted it to go. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember it's like, I don't know, it was just like two weeks in a row of it, of it just. And I remember like some guys on TV, stick up for yourself, man. Like, and not like, come on. So I went in there and I had like, you know, I had it made up that I was going to defend myself. And that lasted literally, I got like two words out of my mouth and, def- and sticking up for myself. And it was done. And I limped out of that room with my tail between my legs. And I was like, this did not go well at all, boys. Like, I was, like, so worried, like, if I was going to play. So, um, yeah, it didn't go as well 
And I, I, I mean, Michelle, I played for Michelle the most out of any coach in my career professionally in Wilkes-Barre here in Pittsburgh. And then I finished with him in Montreal again. So, um, it, I guess kind of like a, he knew how to get to me. He knew how to push my buttons, He, you know, and um, he knew what to expect from me. And honestly, I think back on it now, that, you know, and I'm like, man, he probably got more out of me than I even expected to, you know, do for myself. So it was meetings like that and times that I tried to defend myself. And I think even through that little bit of fire that I did show before he stomped it out, <laughs> um, I think he gained a little respect for me to see like, you know, he does, he does care. This kid wants to play hard. This kid does want it. So as bad as I thought it went, maybe it, it kind of worked out in my favor a little bit after that because, um, yeah, he went to me a lot. He gave me a lot of chances to play in lots of key situations and uh, lots of good players and maybe stick around longer in certain situations than I otherwise would have. But I think he knew, uh, he knew like, uh, what he could get out of me. So I, I heard that story that you told that one on uh, Spit and Chicklets which I've mentioned now twice, um, which is hosted by two of your former teammates. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, are you shocked at all that they've had this amount of success on a podcast? I mean, they both seem like, I mean, they don't seem, they just are incredibly charismatic guys. They tell great stories. They obviously know a lot about the game. Um, Did you see Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonette being this big of media personalities after their careers were done when you're playing with them? I don't know if I expected it to be as big as it, as, as it's got, I think, but, um, you never you know, think you'd Whit- be drinking a pit, a pink Whitney. <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? I never yeah. thought that it is unbelievable. They sent me a few bottles, uh, last year, which was really nice of them. But, um, yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. Um, but Wit's a super smart guy, like a uh, really good talker, good storyteller. He's always been like that kind of, you know, middle of the dressing room type of guy laughing and, um, you know, bit, I always found biz was like another guy that was just, he would talk like a ton, but he was really, uh, he would ask like a billion questions. Like he was really in, in, a guy that was intrigued with whether it was the guy individually or what's going on. And he had something to say, like he was always talking to people like he's, he's a mover and a shaker. And you can see, I mean, what he's been able to do right now, you know, post playing career. He's, you see that glove commercial he did the other day. I thought that was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Like, both guys have, have done a really good job. I think they've shone light on players' personalities a lot um, with the way that they've, you know, done their podcasts and interviewed players. But, um, yeah, I don't know if I expected anything of the magnitude that it's been. Biz had that Twitter following going while he was playing, which was, which was pretty unique and kind of cool how he kind of poked fun of himself being a fourth liner or a grocery stick. Like, he kind of had that stick down really good. Um, and it was funny and he's kind of taken that now and morphed it into, I guess, like an octopus of media. He's doing a little bit of everything and, mm-hmm. um, and he's, and he makes it fun while doing it at the same time. I think they shine a, a good light. I think they promote the game, right? They, yeah. they love hockey and they promote the game real well. They promote the players real well. Um, yeah. And they've, they've, uh, you know, done a really good job. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them. I keep in touch with them all the time and, uh, I'm proud of the work that they do and all the stuff that they've been doing and, um, what they're doing for hockey. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, just listening to their show and seeing how former players open up to them because they're, they're yeah. you can tell they're just friends with everyone who played the game that, with them. Yeah. And, and, and it kind of like gave me this idea where it's just like you just, people love yeah. hearing the old stories going down memory lane. So, yeah, yeah and they the good do it thing right. is, is like they'll rip on a guy too, but, they're, but they've gotten to a point now where it's cool if they rip on you. Like it's yeah. funny, you know? Yeah. Or if like not, if, if you read an article in a paper by someone writing it, it's like mean, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, what's that guy's problem? You know, but they've gotten, you know, they're kind of in that sweet spot with the players um, where, you know, it's, uh, 
comes across and they get, get them to tell some pretty funny, uh, good stories that we wouldn't otherwise probably hear. Yeah. And they also give you a chance to defend yourself as well. Like if they say True. something about you, they, they give you that chance. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break when we return the third and final part of my interview with Colby Armstrong. In my opinion, I think you're, the coolest moment you had in Pittsburgh, obviously, this is just my opinion, is scoring the first goal in the first Winter Classic. Uh, would yeah. you agree with that? Was that probably the coolest goal of your career? Yeah, I, I, I had scored a goal in uh, the World Championships, which ended up holding up in the gold medal game to be the game winner. I mean, it made it 3-1, to one, and then eventually the game ended 4-2. But, you know, that was, like, a big one. But that was, like, the coolest state. Like, definitely a really cool stage to, to do that on with all the people that were at that game. Um, the sights, uh, the feeling kind of the unexpected because it was the first winter classic. There'd been a heritage classic, I believe like the year before, two years before. So we kind of saw NHL outdoor hockey. Um, but obviously this is the first of its kind for the winter classic. And, um, yeah, we were just, we didn't know what to expect playing outside all these people. It was snowing. It was crazy. It was, it was cool. Um, and to get it like that fast too, like, trust me, I'm like the first one to get on Twitter at every outdoor game now, after it goes past like 19 or 20 seconds or what, 21, I don't even know what, it, I can't even really remember you know, clearly exactly what it was, but if it, as soon as it passes like that kind of area, I'm like, still got it record fastest goal. <laughs> it's like the only record I hold. So I'm pretty, I'm like, let's go. That's awesome. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I just remember watching that one too. It like, everything you said and you guys had like the baby blue jerseys they brought yeah. those back like the original ones it was just an iconic one and to have your name you know attached to that that's got to be something do you still have the puck or the jersey that you wore and um, anything from that game no i i don't know i'd have to go looking through my so we we just moved into a new place a few months ago so we got stuff kind of scattered around here i got a few things laying around but i don't think i have that puck at all to be honest with you i might I don't even know if I have that jersey at all either. <laughs> I got a few great jerseys, cool jerseys. Uh, we're starting to hang them up down here uh, in the basement. But, um, yeah, I never really was, did a good job of collecting, like, memorabilia or cool cool things like that. I do have my first goal puck over here, which is really cool. That's I, I, I just, that drives me crazy when guys like you don't do that. Like I see, like I'm someone like I save every credential and everything. Like, I just can't believe you wouldn't save that. You, you know? know what I have since I've started doing like uh, media stuff, the credentials that I have, like when the pens, you know, the Stanley cup runs that they were on here when I first came back here and they went back to back, I've got like those credentials. I've got other credentials mm -hmm. from working like Memorial cups up in Canada or prospect games up in Canada, I've, I've seemed to hang on to those things, but some of these other, I don't know. I just never thought about it at the time. Yeah. So if anyone's listening to this and they're a hockey player, when they get to the NHL, like start thinking about maybe gathering some of your stuff together. Yeah. That'd be a smart thing to do. All right. So, uh, the, your final year in Pittsburgh, I mean, it, they're right before, I mean, the final seconds of the trade deadline in 07, yeah. you get dealt to Atlanta. Um, I believe you guys were playing the Islanders that night. Were yeah. You, yeah, you were at the Coliseum. Can you take me through what you remember from getting traded away? Yeah, our team was awesome that year. Obviously, they went to the final. and um, I think we were, like, battling first place in our conference with, like, Montreal at the time. We were kind of flip-flopping back and forth. But we were, we were having a great year. And um, Sid was injured at the time, so um, – 
I forget what he had. I, I don't know. It was his ankle. Maybe I think he had an ankle injury. So he wasn't on this trip and he hadn't played a few games. So, you know, I did, I just came to the, you know, looking back on it now, this is stuff I think of, but I, I got my own hotel room, which is like absurd because we had like other veteran guys on the team that were sharing rooms with other guys. So I was like, it's kind of weird that they gave me my hotel room and thinking back on it now, like conspiracy theory stuff. Um, but yeah, I was just like any normal day. Like we, I was just, I didn't think I was going to get traded. Didn't cross my mind at all. Pre-game skate, pre-game meal, go back, pre-game nap, um, sleeping like a baby, like no thinking about it. Uh, and maybe just me being naive probably. And, and, and uh, uh, not thinking about it, uh, you know, probably stung me a little bit more, but yeah, I got a call at like three Oh, three like right right at the deadline of three o'clock and uh it was my mom and my mom's like what are you doing I'm like I'm sleeping I have a game tonight like what do you want like give my mom crap you know (laughs) and she's like oh you don't know and I'm like no what what did I get traded she's like oh my boy I remember that she said it to me I go no I go where she goes oh my boy I go Atlanta she goes oh no I go oh no Atlanta (laughs) so I found out from my mom I got traded I guess not a better person to find out uh, she was watching, obviously, living in Canada, and it came across the, uh, right at the end of the day uh, in that in that trade. So I think three of us and a, and a draft pick for Hosa Dupuis, which was like the blockbuster, you know, deadline mm-hmm. deal. Um, and I was on my way. So it was, it, it was shocking. It was surprising. I didn't expect it. And then I was stuck with a duffel bag that I took with me to Long Island for like uh, two and a half weeks until we returned to play against the Penguins in Pittsburgh, where I was able to gather um, you know, clothes and things you need to, to live um, and take it back with me to Atlanta. So, yeah, that was tough. And like I said earlier about just our group and coming up and, you know, you know, we were, we were close we were just like best buddies and the room was awesome. I loved it. Um, so that was like, that was, that made it really, really tough since we kind of, you know, grew up in pro hockey together, a large group of us from Wilkes-Barre all the way up. So it, it made it, it made it even that much more, uh, I think difficult to kind of get your head around it off the bat. Do you think Atlanta misses the Thrashers? Yeah, I do. I do, do? think they do. I still, I still keep in touch with, uh, well, the few fans that actually went to the games do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why I was sure. kind of, yeah. You know what? I have, um, it's, it seemed like uh, we play like Boston or we play Detroit or, you know, we play, you know, you know, some of these teams with bigger fan followings, even Pittsburgh there was like tons of fans at the game cheering for the other teams. Cause it's like everyone moves to Atlanta to kind of work. It was tough to like meet someone that was actually from like Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people just have, have come and come there to work. So it was kind of different set up that way. But I know I have lots of friends. I still talk to neighbors and stuff when I lived there and friends that uh, miss going to games and miss the thrashers and uh, wish the team had stayed and they can watch NHL hockey. So um yeah, it's too bad it didn't work out there because it was a good place to live. It was, it was great. The people were awesome. And, uh, um, you know, the, the little areas were, were super nice. Shopping was great. Restaurants and food was unbelievable. Uh, so it's my dad was always like, it's too bad that this didn't. He came down and visit. And he liked it. Like, it's a nice place. So he's saying too bad they didn't do the right stuff to make hockey work in Atlanta. Yeah. So then you go to, you go to Toronto. Um, just a couple questions about your time there. Is is the Toronto media the harshest media in all of sports? Do you think? I would, yeah, I would say not. Maybe not the harshest. I would say probably like the most overwhelming. Like definitely, it's like day to day. It's like a barrage, like a like a like a tidal wave of nonstop reporting. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's just a lot. It's just a yeah. lot. It was cool to be in, in that market. It was cool to like experience it, especially coming from Atlanta where we had one beat writer, literally one or two beat writers, like every day in the room, the two people, like it was, it was, it was going from that to like walking into the room where it's like, you can't get to your own locker mm-hmm. after practice. You know, you can't even get to your locker. So it was, uh, yeah, it was like a, it was like a, it was like everything you thought it would be, you know, it was everything you, 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 you imagine it to be playing for, you know, the Leafs. So it was, yeah, the experience for me on the ice with my injuries weren't as positive or didn't go as well as I would like it to be. I had high hopes of making it work real good there. Um, but, uh, but the experience of playing in that market and, you know, wearing a, a, a logo in a Jersey with that much his, historic or history. And um, you know, the amount of great players over the years that have gone and played there and, been great leaps and being able to see them before games or hang out with them at certain things is um was pretty amazing to to be a part of that did your time in toronto make you hate waffles <laughs> yeah definitely uh that definitely was uh i don't think something we may not ever see again if you're alluding to waffle gate i don't I forget what they called it, it i was forget always, what they called it was it always too. a scandal of some mm-hmm. sort we got waffles thrown on us after we lost a few games and obviously a huge crowd fall you know i mean you know, Leafs, Leafs and Leaf fans everywhere. So um, we were going through a, a little skid and uh, things weren't going so great. And the fan decided to throw waffles on us during a, during a game, like, like waffles out of the box, right onto the ice, right on us. So I don't know what the significance of it meant, but uh, uh, you don't know. I still am confused with the waffles. It was because I, I thought it was because you waffle without a W is awful. And that's what that oh. meant. They're like, here's the, Here's, you know, you take the W, which is win, out of waffle is awful, and that's what that meant with throwing them. Oh, okay. That would make more sense. Yeah. Well, then he was kind of bang on with that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. When it rains in Toronto, it pours. So yeah. it doesn't take much or a little slide. I always felt it's weird, and I don't know if other players felt this way. I always felt when it went good, like people couldn't wait for it to go bad. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, there was so much pressure on it. It's going to turn like this won't last forever. You can't, yeah, get, you can't go eight games this good. Like wait till it falls off. There's a problem with the D or you're not deep enough up front. It was always like, they're just waiting for us to fall off a cliff. And then when we did, it was like a hail storm. It was a hail storm. So yeah, we, we went through some that the waffles were, were just one of the many things uh, throughout my two years there for sure. Just got a couple more questions here as we wrap up. Um, before the NHL returns, and it'll be interesting to see how hockey is in 2021, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the bubble and how the playoffs worked in the end of the you know the extended postseason. How do you think yeah. you would have handled that as a player? I think, uh, I don't know, it's tough to say. Like, I talked to other guys, and I, 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 my initial reaction was, I think this would have been awesome. Like, you just go down there, they have it all set up. Um, you know, they made it sound really awesome leading into it. Like, Oh, we're going to have food and you're going to have, you can go play at, you know, golf and you can go here and you can do this. And, you know, you're in your own little world and we're going to take care of you. And it seems awesome. And and talking to some guys later, they were like, yeah, like, can you imagine after the first week it's cool or two weeks? And then, and then after that, it's, it's not very cool. Like it becomes like a massive grind and you could kind of, you know, sense that or feel that going as the playoffs went on going, I can't believe these guys are still going and they're still stuck in there, you know, when it got down to the end. So um, 
I initially think I would have enjoyed getting away and getting going and getting playing and just being around like your team the entire time and, you know, finding ways to kill days with each other and having fun. And, um, but I could see how it could become like a massive mental grind. Um, because now I travel for work, like I do some stuff and I mean, I'm away for, you know, I could, I could be away for a week and, and having kids now and stuff feels like I'm away for a month. So, um, there's definitely that feeling to it where I could see where it could become, it could have become uh, real tough, real quick, um, you know, for certain guys in certain situations with their families or just even just want to have some freedom and go do whatever you want, which I guess we're all kind of getting used to not having that anymore right now. <laughs> but That's um, smart on the Penguins for getting bounced that early. Yeah. They never let that mental fatigue <laughs> yeah. wear in. They just, it was just a fun yeah. vacation, right? Yeah, they just went to the bubble. They, they did it and then they went home. Yeah, yep. that's what it's <laughs> exactly what happened. Yeah, totally. Um, so now that you're done playing hockey, you're, you're, you've got a, quite the nice media career. Like you said, you're doing stuff uh, in Pittsburgh, but you're also doing stuff in Canada. Um, was this something that always interested you? Uh, just, you always thought that maybe after you were done playing that you would go into media. I mean, you've always been pretty open, uh, during your time as a player, did you expect to be doing analysis and hosting and all this stuff? Um, I don't know what I really expected. I guess it was kind of in the back of my head. I got, I got kind of pushed by certain people to give it a shot, whether it's a, you know, a GM and I was playing for the Leafs. Um, actually I was playing in Atlanta penguins went the year I got traded and Sportsnet, who I work for now up in Canada asked me to come and work the final against Detroit. And I'm going, geez, man, you're crazy. How could I do this to myself? Why would I go there? I'm all tore up. My, my buddies are all playing in the final. I got to sit here and watch this. I was just here a few months ago. Like, this is torture. Why would I torture myself like this? But I came to Pittsburgh. I flew in. They flew me here. I decided to do it. Um, you know, we did some analysis pregame, postgame um, of, the, of these games when I was here. And that was my first real taste of it. Then playing from Toronto a year later, we didn't make the playoffs. And then I got asked to go on you know, the, the rival network of TSN up in, up in Canada. And I worked the panel there for a few games in, in the first round of the playoffs. Um, and after it just kind of bubbling in my head and, you know, you do kind of maybe think minimally about what you're going to do after hockey. Um, you know, that was like kind of my first couple of years of first real taste of, uh, of what it is actually like. And trust me, there's a big difference between being a player and doing it than being not a player and being done mm-hmm. and like doing it. I guess that's how I felt anyway. Um, but yeah, Sportsnet, it gave me a great opportunity to come in, try it. Uh, they worked me in slowly, gave me some reps, gave me some uh, training um, for it, put me in some great situations, got to work with some really incredible people uh, and, you know, slowly kind of just worked my way in and, and to coming back here to Pittsburgh, which I love. I love being here and doing the Penguin stuff. Um it's awesome. And then just the travel back and forth every week up to Toronto to be able to do that and cover it kind of league wide. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't imagine it would, what would happen, I guess that's probably the best answer. I didn't imagine um, it would work out or, or what would happen, but I always kind of had a feeling that I, that I, that I, I would like to give it a try. So I'm glad it's kind of worked out. And I, I think I've gotten better every year that I've done it. It's a lot harder and more challenging than, uh, than I expected with the preparation and, and being mm-hmm. comfortable speaking on camera um, and, you know, and being comfortable having like a casual cool guy conversation, like two guys having a beer talking about sports, which they kind of say, this is what we want, but it never really feels that way. No. Truly. Um, um, yeah. And I just kind of, I've just kind of worked my way and, and still trying to get better and getting to do some different things. So 
um, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. And I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful, you know, as good as hockey has been to me, um, you know, for probably a fairly average player um, to be able to still be involved in the game in, in some capacity at like a level where I can cover Stanley cup playoffs now and do all these really cool things for kids getting drafted and doing prospects games, which is really cool. Memorial cup, um, all that kind of stuff all the way up to the NHL. So it's been awesome to just be involved in hockey still and do this and now do it back here in Pittsburgh too, for the Penguins, the team I started with is, is, is great. I always end these interviews by pointing out your shouting out your social media on Twitter. You are at arm dog. Yeah. I guess my final question, where'd that nickname <laughs> come from real quick? Um, I just, it's just like guys used to call, it's just nicknames with the yeah. guys on your team, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's army, mostly army. It was, uh, I had one guy call me armpit, Jason McDonald. He was a captain. And when I was in Wilkes-Barre, real funny guy, he's from out Eastern Canada. He was our captain there. He called me our AR old armpit. <laughs> uh, and then arm dog and it kind of came into everything and that was kind of the first thing i put in when i registered for that stupid twitter thing so it's uh yeah it's just it's one of many nick, nick dumb nick, hockey nicknames hey i can relate my first twitter handle was uh fat noah nine because that was my <laughs> nickname uh when i was little that was my wrestling alter ego when we'd play wwe <laughs> in my backyard when i was little and then it just stuck in high school uh, even though it was like 150 pounds uh, but <laughs> I, I remember going to college and being like, if I want to work in media, I probably should change this. So yeah, this is uh, yeah. It's like when you first get email addresses, I can imagine yeah. email ad, you know, you don't think what it's going to be and who's going to see it, but yeah. that's a good one. There that's we go. One. All right. Well, Colby, thank you for coming on everyone. Be <laughs> sure to give him a follow and uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of memory lane.